to fall on at some point. All right. All right. Nehemiah chapter 10, please. Nehemiah chapter 10. By the way, um, before we get started, if you haven't been to one of our family fun fests, you'll want to be a part of that. Uh, let me tell you, as you invite friends, um, how do I say this very kindly? We don't want church people. I mean, you can come, and you can bring your friends, but if they go to another church, it's not the place for them, all right? So we are really, this is, this is intended for an outreach in the community. Um, the first year we started was 2008, and uh, eight, nine? Yeah, that was, that's right. And it was right when the economy was, um, had, had really tanked. And we fed, <laughs> we fed lunch. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> we fed lunch. And um, uh, I can still remember, I think it was Marshall, never really got out of the car. We kept sending him back to the grocery store. We had bratwurst. Paul was grilling until we had candy. Uh, we had um, cotton candy, thank you. Um, and we had people with, like, blue stuff all over their face. And it just kept coming, and it was great. Um, and uh, it was a neat way to get into the community and show love. You know, they may not come and receive Christ that day, but I do want them to go away with a copy of the Scripture in their hands and know that there are people who know Christ who love them. And um, we talk here a lot about the principle of the chain, how that we are a link in the chain, and, and along the way we touch lives, Maybe someone else that sees them come to Christ many years down the road, but it's our, our job to be faithful and to touch that life. And so uh, we're excited. If you want to help, we would love to have you help. I think last time we did, we got rained out last year. Sad. Um, the county park closed. Um, it, was, it took the decision out of my hands. Um, <laughs> didn't have to be the bad guy. They said, no, you can't be on our soccer fields. We're in a different location this year, so I'm not sure what will happen if it rains. Um, answer that one. Um, but uh, it, it is a wonderful opportunity. We had a hundred over 100 volunteers, I think, the last time. We had 105, 120. And you'll get to touch lives, uh, whether it be games or just handing out drinks or handing out goodies and snacks. So uh, would you be a part of that and be praying for, number one, good weather, but number two, opportunities. We do have people, as Mark said, just stationed there just to, to show the love of God and talk people and to um, just to say, hey, we're here for you. And so be in prayer for that. All right, we're continuing our series of Building Faith, and I wanted to, in a stretch of one day, go on to the next of what uh, we learned about this morning. Because we, when we finished this morning, we, we heard that they signed an agreement. And this morning, we learned a couple things. We learned that because God is God, He Himself is God, you must confess Him, profess Him, and you also must confess your sin. We learned that true worship is most transcendent. It really lifts you up in the sense that you understand and, and see who God is and, and worship Him and glorify Him and praise Him. But it also is transform, transformational in that it should change us from the inside out as God does His work within us. And so now, we finished up in uh, chapter 9, verse 38. Let me get there. And we said, now because of all of this, we are making an agreement in writing. And on the sealed documents are the names of our leaders. So who, who, 
Who signed? Well, you see the signed here, and verse uh, 1 of chapter 10 starts to unfold this. And we see there are three groups of people. First, the priests, well, besides Nehemiah. Nehemiah put his name there, and Zedekiah, the chief priest. But then all the priests who are, we think, ranking members of the priesthood there, you see at verse 8, these were priests. And I can get out of saying difficult names by saying in verse 9, and the Levites. Yeshua, Yeshua, and then you keep on going. And then 14, the leaders of the people. So political leaders of, um, also signed. And that continues down into verse 27. And then verse 28 says, interestingly enough, now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their, their daughters, all those who had knowledge and understanding. So let me pause here before we go to verse 29. Notice everybody. Everybody who had understanding. And it's interesting, they singled out the singers. That's great. I'm glad they singled out the singers there. Um, and the temple service. All of those, and notice this, and we'll, this will come back a little later, those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the land are coming out from them to the law of God. All of those who had understanding, verse 29 are joining with their kinsmen. This is a statement. They're nobles and are taking on themselves a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given through Moses, God's servant, and to keep and observe all the commandments of God, our Lord, and His ordinances and His statutes. They're making an agreement. In fact, the word there uh, you see in verse 38, um, agreement in writing is not a covenant, but is fairly close. Okay, it has that understanding. It's not a covenant, but this is an agreement, a binding agreement that we are making. Our leaders are signing, but we all are making this agreement. And we're putting it down, a curse and an oath. Now, we don't think much about those, you know, we, we relegate curses to, I don't know, October 31st or something like that. We don't know exactly. But this is actually hearkening back to the law of Moses that God had given and the covenant that God had gave, given both Abraham and then to Moses, that said, I mentioned this morning, if you obey me, I will bless you. I'll make you as a sand of the sea. I'll multiply you. However, if you disobey me, you're going to receive curses, judgments upon you. And we learned also this morning, all to bring you back to me. This is God saying this. And so they take upon themselves the same language in their agreement, both a curse and an oath, to walk in God's law. They're agreeing. We're going to say, look here, they're agreeing to four things. Four things they're going to agree to. And then once we look through the four things, we're going to kind of bring it down to our day. Number one, they agreed to a general oath of obedience. They agreed, first of all, to a general oath of obedience, to keep and observe all, okay, not the ones I liked, of all the commandments of, our, of God, our Lord, and His ordinances and His statutes. We saw this morning they were good and just in the recounting of that, these statutes that God has, His righteous ordinances. And so here, a general ordinance or a general oath to obey. I mean, just to obey what God had said in His Word. A, a general thing, a, a oath to, to live in. Well, let's walk. It's to live in what God has said, in obedience to God. And so whether they're obligating themselves not to come under the curse, but if they, if they disobeyed, they would. The positive side is they would walk and live in the law of God to keep. 
and this is pretty broad, pretty encompassing. They're going to get a little more specific later on. But a very broad and encompassing thing to say, we will obey you, God. Very simple, very straightforward. But next, they had an oath regarding marital relationships. Okay, an oath regarding marital relationships. Look at verse 30. And we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. Now, why in the world is this coming up again? So, very succinctly, no marriage to those who did not follow God. No marriage to those who did not follow God. See, everyone around the land, around them, and this is some time after they had been driven in the land, now they're brought back. All those people did not follow God. The vast majority of them did not. There were some pockets left remnant therein. But the vast majority did not follow God. And of those people, they said, we will, just as you told us earlier, we will not marry our sons or daughters to them. And why was that? Well, remember Solomon. A prime example. The wisest man who ever lived, we are told. Solomon took to himself Itself, not only wives of Israel, but also wives from other lands. And we have a scriptural record where Solomon, as wise as he was, followed after the gods of his wives. He began to worship false gods. In fact, that led to the downfall of Solomon. And at, at some point, God comes to him and by the prophet says, You know what? Your sons, um, that, this is pretty much the end. The kingdom is going to be divided. It's going to be divided from you. And eventually, northern kingdom and southern kingdom split from each other. And eventually, they kept on sinning, and we know what happened. This led to the captivity, led up to this present day for Nehemiah. Now, lest you think this is being mean to people who are from other backgrounds, this is not. This is not the case. This is not a, a racial thing. This is a religious thing. How do I know that? Well, the examples. Number one, in Joshua. Read the book of Joshua. Those who were of the land who converted, who followed Yahweh, were welcomed into the company of Israel. Remember the story of Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess. And if you want to do a word search on Moab and look at what comes up, they were very not, not very nice people to the children of Israel. And God has some very strong words against the people of Moab. And yet, this one, Ruth... When her husband died, goes back with her mother-in-law, goes back to Israel, and follows the God of Israel, and you see her showing up in the line of Christ, giving birth to Obed, who gave birth to Jesse, who gave birth to David, the king, the line of Christ. This is not an injunction because they didn't like other types of people. It was cause for religious. It was so that they would not follow astray from God. And as I said this morning, the religions of the time, you think of Molech, and the worship of Molech in, in, uh, included uh, taking babies and putting them into the god of Molech, who was, oh, by the way, on fire and burning babies alive. You see why God placed an injunction against the people of the land. And so this here, they said, we won't do this. We won't apostatized by giving and intermarrying so that we follow their gods instead of the one true God. They're faithful to this. So this is a, 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 one of the, the things that they kept, number two. But number three is 
they agreed to keep the Sabbath and the other holy days. Verse 31, As for the peoples of the land who bring wares or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day, and we will forego the crops the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Um, God had given a very complicated thing to the people of Israel of, of how to manage both the land, uh, that seventh year thing, of letting the land rest. It's interesting because now in the farming techniques, uh, we want to be more organic and healthy. And uh, some of the farmers are now planting and letting the, the, the land rest for a year and then resowing. Funny, they got it from the Bible. Um, but the main thing here was that on the Sabbath, on Shabbat, on that Saturday, they would rest. God had given them that day. They would set aside that time. Now, it was fairly easy for them in that society where they would, they would come apart and they would be separate. And so everyone around them would be resting, except maybe for, as we see here in verse 31, the vendors, those who would come to sell. He said, we won't sell from them. In fact, later on, we'll see later in, in Nehemiah toward the end, uh, Nehemiah has some ideas how to keep people from selling on the Sabbath. And so they said, we will set aside, we will dedicate our time and set aside time to God. We promise God we will do that. So it is, all time is a gift of God. We do, do not hoard it for ourselves, but rather, as they were doing, they, we offer it to God. We offer it to God. Number four. Number four, we give not only our time to God, but we give our possessions, our money. Verse 32, we place ourselves under the obligation to contribute yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. Verse 33, for the showbread, for the continual grain of offerings, for the continual burnt offerings. They are giving for the running of the temple, basically. And they were, are, were cast lots for the supply of wood among the priests and the Levites and the people. Verse 34, they might bring it to the house of our God according to our father's household. A fixed time annually. They were organizing this. God, we will take care by our tithes and by our offerings. We will take care of the house of the Lord. And we will support those who take care of the house of the Lord. And so they gave of their time, uh, not only their time, but of their money and their possessions. And it's interesting there because it goes to verse 35, and you see these distinctions. In verse 35, they said that they may bring the first fruits of our ground, the first fruits of all the fruit of every tree, to the house of the Lord annually. And bring to the house of our God the firstborn of our sons and our cattle, and the firstborn of our herds and our flock, as it is written in the law, for the priests who are ministering to the house of our God. As you see on the screen, they gave first, the first of things that they grew, the first of the things, the living things of themselves, firstborn, dedicated to God. They also gave the first of animals and the things that they made even, the dough, the wine, the oil. It's interesting, you go to Israel and um, several places, you can find this, but there's one in Nazareth where they have an olive press. And they receive olive oil, that's um, pretty much a staple. And so as they uh, have the mechanism, mechanisms to, to break up the olives, they will put it in a, um, let's see, we might think of burlap, but it's finer, a mesh linen almost. And they will place it in a container. 
And because it's been broken up, you'll, the olives, you'll see that first drippings will just come and ooze out. Before there's any pressing, and they have the first pressing, the second pressing, and they finally get down when they press it so hard that, you know, got you know, all kind of stuff coming out of, of olive pits. and No, not quite that bad. But you have all of this. And, but they would give the, the finest, the most refined, that which did not need any pressure to bring it out of the cloth, they would give that to God. They would give the best to God. It's like living things. Bring the first fruits, everything. So you see this of the people of giving an oath to obey, an oath to be separate in their marital relationships, an oath to keep the Sabbath day holy and other holy days, and an oath, a promise to give to God their tithes and their offerings. And we say, but Stacy, we live in a New Testament time. This is not us. You know, you can, as I was reading this, the general principle started kind of popping out at me from the page. Because these are really basic things that we must give to God. First, a general oath of obedience. Lesson is a general oath of God, we will obey you. What your word says, we obey. Simple to say, hard sometimes to fulfill. But something that God requires of us, that, that if we are a follower of Christ, a general obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. It's not really an optional thing, is it? Loving God and, 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 and uh, obligates us to keep God's commandments. But what about our relationships? Relationships, does, did that go away? Changed a bit, but Paul wrote to second, uh, in 2 Corinthians, the church of Corinth, is do not be bound together with unbelievers. So what partnership have righteous and lawless? What fellowship has law, uh, light with darkness? Relationships that we have, and particularly marital relationships, and if we have the time, I can give you stories of those who married others who they knew were not believers. And the trials and the heartache that it caused. And some of you are, that ship has sailed and um, others are looking at that in the future for you. And it is so important that your choice in a mate is one who is a believer, if you indeed are a believer. You know, it's, it's very simple, I think, to, to understand. Um, but we, and I think sometimes the ladies, well, men tend, tend to do this also, but we, you know, when I marry him, I'll, I'll fix him <laughs> or, or fix her. No, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. You don't marry to you don't marry a missionary project. Right? Marry someone who loves God. Who loves God. But the third area is a, an area we think Sabbath, but how about our time? We don't live in the Old Testament with our Sabbath, uh, which was Saturday then. We don't think of that. We think of the Lord's Day. But let's step out a bit a little broader. What about our time? 
if indeed our very breath is from God, our time is from God. And as we begin to dedicate our time to God, it gets a little... that steps on our toes because we want to do what we want to do with our time. It was easy to do in the Old Testament, I'm sure. Or maybe it wasn't since the record of Scripture. But, you know, everyone else was doing it, kind of. But now not. It doesn't stop with Sunday. It starts at Sunday, continues the rest of the week. Your time is from God. Your breath is from God. We don't know if we have the very next breath for us to follow Christ. Are you surrendering to him your time? Your time. Will you give him all of that? How about this? Last one here. Money and possessions. The New Testament doesn't mandate a certain percentage. You look in the Old Testament, there was 10%. In some years, it was uh, 10%. Another 10, almost 30%. There was a temple tax. There was these things that... And sometimes it was quite a bit a lot, and depending on what was going on. And, and, uh, but there was prescribed. In the New Testament, we don't see a letter of the law prescribed, okay? Believers, I want to give you a 10%. Many continue the Old Testament and give a 10%. But many also give tithes and offerings. They say, anything above my 10%, I will give. And, and they look for special things to people who are in need to give. And what the New Testament does instead is a passage in 2 Corinthians 9. If you want to turn there. But in, in, in the New Testament, it speaks rather of radical generosity. In fact, it goes beyond the letter of the law into the spirit of the law of generosity. And so if you read this now, I say, verse 6, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have abundance for every good deed. Stacy, I can't give to others. Maybe it is a time where you need to get your financial house in order and and pay bills so that you can. I had an opportunity to have a discussion with somebody last month. Um, nobody in church. You don't have to look around. Um, but God had, and particularly in this, um, in uh, verse 7 there, as he's purposed in his heart, God had, God had really burdened on his heart to, instead of 10%, to give 25%. And he was about eight months into it. And uh, it was, everything was going fine until about eight months into it. And it was really tough. Uh, and he talked to a few people. And they said, well, you know, I think God will understand. And then he went back and got on his knees and he started praying. And uh, he said, Lord, you, you brought this to mind. It wasn't like you, you know, you brought this to my heart. I prayed about it. I agreed to it. I want to be faithful. And God was faithful to him. Now, I'm not saying that we all go out and give 25%. That's not that at all. But when God lays upon your heart to give, you need to give. I need to give. When Jesus said, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another, this is 
part of what he's saying. You look in the early church, and you look at how people took care of each other, other believers, house to house, and you, you start to see past 35 to 40 A.D. to 50 A.D., persecution coming upon the church, and this was a common thing for people to meet the needs of others. Now, I'll, I'll understand. Paul said, if a man won't work, neither should he eat. Okay? If you're able-bodied, um, get busy. Get busy. The, the obligations on you is to work, not to... But there are times when people are under, under extreme circumstances. And circumstances where God, hopefully, if you are following him, God is able to, by the sufficiency in verse 8 that he provides for you, minister to someone else in their need. And a radical generosity springs up from what God has given to you. And this is what the New Testament says. It's not check a box, I gave this much, I'm fine. I turn in the offering plate, and so I'm good. No. It's yes, you can do that, but we're on the lookout for those who need help. We're on the lookout for those who need. And so look at what Look at this on our, on our screen here. It's general obedience, it's relationships, it's our time, and it's our possessions. And we think money. I was, um, the same person as we were talking was helping someone who was, who was trying to get back on their feet financially. And she said, I don't have any money. I really don't. And there was, it was an odd situation, but didn't have any money. He said, but you can time, uh, tithe of your time. How about the other person that you could go and and help. And uh, maybe, you know, there's, there's someone who's a widow or shut in or something like that. And you can go clean house or you can go rake leaves or you do something like that. And so what we're finding here through this principles in Nehemiah is that for us in the New Testament era, for us on this side of the cross, there are things that God desires from us. He desires our time our money, our possessions. He desires to be in control of our relationships and for us to have general obedience. And this is the thing that, that God wants for us is for us to follow him implicitly. See, when we placed our trust in Jesus, we said, Jesus, I take upon you, or take upon me, your righteousness because you shed your blood for me. You rescued me from my impending doom, and so now I am yours. I give you all of me. You know, if we go back to the last chapter we speak, spoke of this morning, what was the thing that, the biggest thing of their sin? It was pride, it was arrogance, it was stubbornness, and refusal to listen. You know, and if we are prideful, we don't want to obey. We're stubborn, even when wise people say, hey, that's not a good relationship, you need to, then we're going to push it off. We're going to say, if I'm arrogant and prideful, I'm going to say, it's my time, God. It's my time, whoever else is in authority over me. It's my time, so don't tell me what to do with my time. It's my money, it's my stuff. Get away from my stuff. I'm going to hoard it. I'm going to leave it to die when I die and let people fight over it. Because it's, it's all about us. All about us. It's interesting as we look at Nehemiah, the things that they struggle with are the things that we struggle with. Okay? And we're not in captivity. We're not 
at this point in our nation anyway. And we're not struggling with, uh, in our, at this point in our nation, people who are persecuting us openly. But simple obedience, we struggle with. Standing out and being different for Christ and, being, and living in such a way that people say, that person knows Jesus. And it's not like everybody else who knows Jesus. This person is different. This person loves me because of me and because of Christ, not because they get something from me. This, mor- this, this morning we saw to confess God means to confess sin. And this evening means, we see that to confess God means that we give everything to him. All of our lives. I'm going to challenge you. In your life, there are going to be things that you struggle with and you say, God, I really don't want to give that area to you. He's going to knock on the door of your heart, as it were, and it's going to come up again and again until that point you say, okay, God, okay, you can have it. This is yours. This is all for you. To confess God. It's to confess sin, but also means to walk in his way. What a beautiful reminder of God's great glory and great work in our lives. As you obey, give first, give the best of all that you have and are to God. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, I thank you for who you are, for the simple lessons from your word. I thank you, Father, that you are great. And Father, if we were to turn the mic over to listening to how you have worked in lives and how you've rescued and, and delivered from, uh, from the bondage of sin and many lives, we would be here all evening. And we thank you that you are gracious and you're an ever-compassionate God. And we thank you that you have called us to a new way of living, a way of living that is radical to some. It's giving all of ourselves to you. But Father, we understand that as we do so, you will use us to show others the love of Christ. You will use us to glorify yourself. And so God, I pray that as we see your word, may we simply obey. May we not be stubborn. May we not be prideful. But may we give our all to you. Thank you for who you are. The greatness of your word And may we find our strength and our instruction from it today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.